How are y'all doing this morning? So, our text this morning, we are looking at the familiar passage of Luke chapter 15. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Um, You can read with me or listen along. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near um, to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Bow with me. Lord, this morning we pray that you would impress the life-transforming truths of your word upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, let's admit it. We're all really good at finding problems with the world. Hollywood, the White House, the media, Russia, 
the extreme right, the radical left, et cetera, et cetera. Not only are we good at finding problems, more often than not, we've got a ready answer. According to my Facebook feed, we've all got it figured out, and that's comforting. This is a problem. We love passing judgment on the world. In Romans 2, Paul has something to say about this. He says this, In passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. We might say for a moment, wait a minute, Paul. We know sin. We know there's judgment against sin. We know justice. In reply, Paul says this, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. We're nodding our heads at this point. But he says more, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Essentially, Paul is saying this. Yes, we know that God does judge, but that's no better for you than for anyone else. Why? Because you who judge those sinners do the same things. You, too, are a sinner. Do we know that? What I want us to think about today is this. Do we delight in judgment or in grace? Do we find ourselves wishing for the swift and sure destruction of a sinner, or do we long for a sinner's redemption? Yes, we know judgment, but how well do we know the Father's love? How well do we know the Father's care for his children? How well do we know the Father's joy at the salvation of a soul, at the return of a child? This morning, by this scripture, let us know the all-sufficient care of the Father. Let us know the Father's scandalous love. And let us rejoice with the Father in the fitting celebration of salvation. So my first point this morning is this. Let us know the all-sufficient care of the Father. Let us know the all-sufficient care of the Father. So Jesus introduces to us three characters in this parable. A man and his two sons. To begin with, the younger son is the parable's focus. Um, this younger son, he has a rather shocking request, especially in an ancient Jewish context. The son is asking for his share of the inheritance. Now, customarily, a man's inheritance would not go to his children until his death. So, in making this request, at the very least, this son is dishonoring his father and his family by disregarding this custom. But at the very worst, this son is conveying that he doesn't have the patience to wait for his dad to die. He wants his property right there and then. Now, what's perhaps even more jarring still is that the father grants his son's request. He distributes the property to his two sons right there and then. Now, it's one thing for a young man who doesn't know any better to disregard custom. But it's quite another for a man of age and experience to allow such disregard and impertinence. Right off, Jesus' audience would be seized with interest. Who's this son to make such a request? Who's this father to give in to his son's demands? 
It's all very unconventional. The son's purpose in doing this becomes rather clear. Um, he believes that there's more for him away from his father, away from his father's house. He believes that his needs and desires will be met better living where he pleases and living as he pleases. Hence, he takes all his own, all he owns, all his newly acquired wealth, and he leaves for a faraway country. Now, this isn't just a vacation. In this act, he's cutting ties with his family and with his home. Why would he choose to go to a faraway country? This son, he desires to live a lifestyle of pleasure and extravagance, a lifestyle that would surely shame his family and himself. So, in going to a faraway country, he's liberated by his anonymity. There's no one there to recognize him, no one there to remind him of his family association, no one there to judge him. So, unknown to these people in this place, he comes with his wealth and he can live recklessly. This is just the life that he wished for. A life where he could fulfill all his desires, a life of pleasure and enjoyment, a life free from judgment, free from shame, free from consequences. Now in all of this, did he think about the family and the home that he left behind? Was he ever filled with guilt or regret? This isn't clear, uh, but it seems not, or at least not at first. Um, who knows how long he went on living this way, but after some unspecified period of time, his life takes a sudden and drastic turn. Two things happen. His wealth, it's all gone. He spent it all away. And then to make things even worse, a famine has struck the land. So now he has nothing. Um, there's not a friend by his side. Surely with all his wealth and his extravagant living, he was surrounded by friends. But now that his wealth is gone and the famine has come, what is he to offer anyone now? So he's gone from living the high life to rock bottom. Suddenly he finds himself poor without a friend in a foreign land. Just to survive, he has to go work for a citizen of the country. Um, now, not only is he for forced to become a laborer in this foreign land, he has to take the lowest of jobs for a Jew feeding pigs. According to Jewish ceremonial law, Jews were to have nothing to do with pigs because they were deemed to be unclean. And the desperateness of his situation becomes even more apparent by the fact that he is so hungry that the pig slop looks appetizing to him. But he, he came to himself. He comes to his senses and realizes that even his father's hired servants were better off than he was. Like the younger son, our nature is such that we wander from the all-sufficient care of our Father to fulfill ourselves by the things of the world. We think that we can live and thrive apart from Him. Oftentimes we even take good things, things which God intends for us, relationships, pleasure, work, and we seek from them what may only be found in God. When we go far away from God, far from our proper place by His side, we suffer a deep spiritual hunger, lost in sin and distant from God. Even blatant perversions appear good for fulfillment because it's something to end our spiritual famine. 
we must be brought to our senses and reminded of God's care for us. On our own, we're utterly lost in our sin. We're cornered. We're trapped. Um, Like the younger son, we're out of our minds and forgetful of how fully sufficient the Father's care is for us. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're brought to our senses. We're convicted of our sin and reminded of the Father's goodness and care. And we're turned in repentance. This brings me to my second point this morning. And that's this. Let us know the scandalous love of the Father. Let us know the scandalous love of the Father. The younger son is brought to his senses and he leaves for home and realizes that even his father's servants are better off than him. And as he makes his way home, the son rehearses what he'll say to his father. He, the son knows his sins, quote, before heaven and against, against you. The son is brought low and he knows that he has no claim to rights before the father. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He once bore the title son, but he spurned it. At that time, he had no desire to be the son of his father. Um, But now he's ready to throw himself at the mercy of his father, hoping that his father will at least just accept him as a hired servant. The son returns expecting nothing but wrath from his father. Now, as the son enters the community, it's likely that none would have paid him any attention. Um, When he left, he left in all his wealth. Um, But now he's returning with nothing but the clothes on his back. He's skinny, dirty, and beyond recognition. But the father recognizes his son. While the son is still a long way off, the father sees him. Sees him in what? Sees him and picks up his rod? Sees him and grows furious? Now he... He sees him and responds in a way that the son did not expect. When he saw him, he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced his son and kissed his son. This is scandalous love. Here's this son who's dishonored his father, who's brought such shame on his family. And the father feels compassion. Not rage, not disappointment, compassion, love. Such love that he runs out to meet his son while he's still a long way off. The father embraces his son. Literally in the Greek, it means he fell on his neck. He fell on his neck and kissed him. This is a picture of overflowing love. The father is filled with love and compassion for him. And he expresses his love in abundance without regard to convention. But still, the son recites what he's been rehearsing. He puts himself at the mercy of his father. Um, He knows that he has no rights before the father. But the father won't hear it. Um, Instead of degrading his son, he tells his servants to put the best robe on him, to put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. These are all symbols of status. Rather than degrading him, the the father is exalting his son, and he is claiming him as his son. And then the father orders that a fattened calf be slaughtered. Now, this calf would have been set aside for a very special occasion, um, perhaps a holy occasion. And the father is saying in this, this is just such an occasion. He's saying that this is a celebration because the son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father is celebrating a resurrection. 
Do we know the scandalous love of the Father? The Father is not a far-off and impersonal God. He loves us, and He loves us scandalously. When we were far off, the Father ran to us, showering us in His love and care. How does the Father love us scandalously? How does He meet us as we turn to Him in repentance? God expressed this scandalous love by the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. He did not remain distant, but as Philippians 2 tells us, God became flesh, emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of flesh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Because of the scandalous love of the Father, because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, we are wrapped in the very finest robe, the robe of righteousness. And we are given the Holy Spirit as a seal of our adoption as children of God. Even though we spurned the Father and wished for a life of fulfillment apart from Him, even though we were in such a place that we found perversions to be good in our spiritual famine, the Father wants us back. By nothing but pure and sweet grace, by the Holy Spirit, we're brought to our senses and led back to the waiting Father. He's not waiting to savor in our degradation. He's not waiting to stomp us. He's waiting to exalt us, to love us. It's a scandalous love. He, he falls on our neck. The Father makes no demands. Rather than lowering us, He willingly humbled Himself. Through Jesus Christ, we're given the status of children of God. And this brings me to my final point, which is this. Let us rejoice with the Father in the fitting celebration of salvation. Let us rejoice with the Father in the fitting celebration of salvation. While the celeb celebration happened within the house, the older son was in the field. When he drew near the house, he asked the servant to tell him, what, what's the meaning of the music and the dancing? The servant gives a matter-of-fact report, and the older son is enraged, and he refuses to go in. Just as the father went out to his younger son, so now he goes out to his older son. And he entreats him to come inside. And the older son responds to his father's entreaty with resentment. And in his resentful response to the father, the son questions his father's judgment, and he disowns his brother. The older brother sets himself in contrast with his younger brother, accusing his father of rewarding faithlessness over faithfulness. The father would not even give a goat to him and his friends while he would give a fattened calf to the son who kept the company of prostitutes. Even further, the son disowns his brother. He names him that son of yours, the older brother does not rejoice at the return of his brother, and in his view, the father's response should similarly be one of anger. This is, in case you forgot, the one who devoured your property. The older son has leveled serious accusations against his father, but the father responds by correcting his son in love and patience. The father now shows the older son the same love and care 
that he has shown the younger son. Son. He addresses him affectionately. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And this, the father is saying that everything that the son feels has been withheld from him, the father's care, the father's love, has always been present to him. All that he had to do was ask his father, and it would have been his. But the son did not know his father. This son wrongly thinks of his father more of a, as a slave master. And the language he uses for his work, these many years I have served you, he's comparing his work to the work of a slave. But the father corrects this. He is no slave. All that is mine is yours. Finally, the father tells his, his son that his celebration is fitting. You question my judgment and, and think that I should be wrathful instead. But no, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father is saying, and consequently Jesus is saying, that the celebration of redemption is right. The proper response of redemption is always, always rejoicing. It is not only fitting that the father rejoice, but the father corrects his oldest son. He's your brother. The father does not allow the older son to disown his younger brother. The, he's challenging him and challenging a response and saying that your response too should be one of joy. Do we rejoice with the Father in the fitting celebration of salvation? In this parable, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees and the scribes. They grumbled at his eating with sinners and tax collectors. At this, Jesus is questioning their understanding of the Father, on whose behalf they claim to speak. Contrary to their own depiction of the Father, Jesus presents the Father as one who goes out to all in love, one who rejoices over the salvation of a sinner. Indeed, the Father's response of salvation for sinners is the only proper response, and that response is joy. So who are you in this story? Perhaps you are running far from the Father. Perhaps you're just now being brought to your senses by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you're an older brother, one who is mindful of all that God owes you for your obedience and faithfulness. In our hearts, do we long for the judgment of sinners? Do we fail to rejoice at the return of the prodigal? Do we ever resent the Father, His grace, and His love? God help us if we do. Yet just as there is hope for the prodigal, so too there is hope for the older brother. The father goes out in love and care to him too. All that is mine is yours. So this morning, whomever you may be, the father waits for you always in grace and love. You may be far from God, lost in your sin, lost in spiritual famine. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may the Lord bring you to repentance and lead you to himself. By the loving and willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Father waits to shower you with his love, adopting you as his child. Today, go to him. Go to him in prayer and know his scandalous love and care for you.
But you may be like the older brother, living under the burden of self-righteousness, feeling you must earn the Father's love and care. You may even resent God's love and grace for sinners. With the very same love and grace, the Father goes to you. Not only does He love you, He longs to have you by His side. You can go to Him in prayer and cast this burden of self-righteousness upon Jesus, who is our righteousness. And finally, as a church, as the body of Christ, uh, may we always join the Father in the fitting celebration of salvation. So in a moment, we're going to take um, some time to respond, um, respond in prayer and reflection. Um, as always, um, if you need to speak with anyone, if you need to speak with one of our staff, um, you can reach us after the service. You can reach us um, by email via our website. Um, also, um, if you're interested in making First Baptist, I know it's an interesting time, <laughs> but uh, if you're interested in making First Baptist Gadsden your church home, um, that would bring us um, a lot of joy. So now, um, take this time um, to reflect and pray right after I close pray here. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your, your great love. We thank you that, that the love is a scandalous love, that you, um, without regard of, of convention, that you go out to us, um, you go out to us in your grace and um, wherever we are. And Lord, I pray now that we would take this time to respond to you um, wherever we may be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.